Anybody, uh, anybody know what today is? St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. Who is not wearing green? I'm just going to have to ask. Don't duck for the door. I don't think you're going to get away. Oh, he doesn't sweater on. <laughs> anyway, oh, John over here, so everybody knows when you... That looks like teal to me. Is teal, is teal green? You sang today. I can't remember you too hard of a time. I, I think I owe you at the moment. I mean, uh, anyone else that we need to... Just go ahead and pick them out and target them. Um, uh, do you know why we? What, what's St. Patrick's Day? What's the What's the deal, guys? Anybody know what what we celebrate? What? Something Irish. Celebrate wearing green. I usually wear orange for St. Patrick's Day. To be honest with you, if you watch the St. Patrick's Day parade in New York, which should be on sometime, I assume. We probably don't get that channel, but <laughs> it should be on. You'll notice that, that half the people in the crowd will wear orange and half of them will wear green because um, green is the color of, of Irish Catholic and orange is the color of Irish Protestants. Um, and, and that's William of Orange was the king of England for a little while and he conquered Ireland. And so orange became, there you go, there's something to know. So, But I, I couldn't find an orange outfit that looked any kind of dignified. Um, <laughs> and so, no orange for me to, <laughs> thank you. Um, the, the reason that we celebrate St. Patrick's Day um, is we celebrate the life of St. Patrick. And, and St. Patrick was, was um, um, a fellow who, uh, as a child, was kidnapped um, by the Celts who um, dragged him away to Ireland, and, and he became a slave in Ireland. He served as a slave in Ireland for six years before he managed to get away. Right? He, he ran off and escaped. Um, and then, having escaped for several years, he, he came to Christ, he became a Christian. And then he came back to Ireland, and he spent his whole life um, preaching to the Irish. Um, and, and, you know, they say, like, well, St. Patrick um, chased the snakes out of Ireland. It's actually St. Patrick's chased the Celts out of Ireland. The Celts were um, ancient pagans. They, they sacrificed things and, and did all kinds of other crazy stuff. And, and St. Patrick's, like, basically came through and converted the island. And he spent his whole life doing it. The Catholics celebrate him. Um, and and um, it, there's pretty good evidence he may not have been all that Catholic, but, but we're not going to get into that. Um, for those of you who are recovering Catholics, it's, it's okay. <laughs> St. Patrick is on your side. For those of you who aren't, I, I'm just kidding. I'm making them feel good. Um, uh, the, the, the big thing we're working on right now, and the reason I'm starting with this is we're talking about um, we're talking about Easter, right? And and um, the way that we're approaching Easter this year for for the sermon series is we're looking at Old Testament stuff, right? And we're we're looking at how it affects our understanding of Easter. Um, there's a fellow named Paul. Uh, he wrote most of the New Testament. And, and he coined a phrase for us. Um, um, it's not a word he made up, but he took new meaning to it. Um, the word was tupos. Right? It's a Greek word, and we, we generally read it as type in the New Testament. And, and what it refers to is, anybody ever play with Play-Doh? This is the easiest way to explain this. Hey, raise your hand proud. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, when you would take Play-Doh and you spread it out and you get the little mold, right, and you stamp the, the mold onto the Play-Doh to make an image. It was always food, by the way. Like, did you think they were trying to get you to eat the Play-Doh? I mean, you made it look like spaghetti or whatever. I mean, like, they, it was clearly a marketing technique. Um, <laughs> and, and so you'd make this stamp, and it would make an imprint, right? 
Um, that's what tupos means. It means to take a stamp and make an imprint in clay, not Play-Doh. They hadn't coined the name yet. Um, and, and so, like, you pick up a pot or something like that, and it's got a little imprint on the bottom from the manufacturer. That's a tupos. It's an imprint. Well, Paul takes that word, and he says, listen, we look at the Old Testament, and there are imprints of Jesus there. Um, last a couple weeks ago, I talked about the scarlet thread, right? Like the line of Jesus that you see through the Old Testament. And if you look, you see it. Um, Jesus, the story of Christ is so huge for the history of the world that it begins thousands of years before he's even born. And as you read through the Old Testament, you'll find these neat parallels. Last week, we talked about Abraham and Isaac. Some of you guys were here. Um, if you weren't, you can listen to it online. Um, um, if you need to get to sleep having trouble getting to sleep at night, that's a good way to do it. Um, this week we're going to be looking at Moses, right? Um, Moses is the guy who built the ark. <laughs> Sorry. I, was, I said it to Jess and I, last night, and I thought it was funny. It wasn't that funny, I guess. Because I laughed at it. Like, on. Um, <laughs> um, Moses, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to give you the quick overview. Most of you guys know about Moses, right? He'll probably be on Jesus the miniseries tonight, or the Bible miniseries tonight if you want to watch it. I'm sure that they're probably about Moses. Um, Moses shows up during a time when the Israelites were living in slavery in Egypt, right? At the end of the story of Joseph, Joseph brings the entire family into Egypt and they settle down there. And, and they live there for quite a while and, and they start having kids and their kids have kids and their kids have kids. And before long, there are, there are a mess of, of Hebrews. I mean, there's a whole mess of them. And the Pharaoh starts looking and says, well, we have this ethnic group in our, in our midst, and there's a, there's a mess of them. I mean, there's a lot. If they decided to rise up against us, we wouldn't be able to stop them. And so in order to prevent that from happening, Pharaoh says, well, you're all slaves now. And, and he declares that, that all of the Jewish people in Egypt are, are suddenly slaves. Right? They didn't build the pyramids, no matter what anybody says. There's a hundred year difference there, like from when the Jews were slaves and when the pyramids were built. They did build several cities. Um, and and um, they didn't have an easy time of it, which I guess is pretty given in slavery, right? Like, you don't think slavery, that's like a trip on a carnival cruise. No, wait, no, that's a bad example. Um, <laughs> probably like a trip on a carnival cruise now. Um, um, do you hear they lost two more boats here recently? That's crazy. Um, Worst, worst brochure ever. Um, so, so they're in slavery and they're having a rough time of it. And so God hears their cries and He sends a deliverer, right? Um, and and they start talking about this deliverer who's coming. And and um, Pharaoh, in an effort to prevent the Jews from continuing their multiplication, starts killing off the boys because he apparently didn't realize that you know you, you don't kill off the girls. That would be more effective. But he starts killing off the young boys, right? And, and Moses' mother takes him, puts him in a basket, sets him out into a river, and um, he's picked up by the Pharaoh's daughter. And the Pharaoh's daughter raises him. This is the short version of his story. Um, raises him in the house of the Pharaoh. And, and he, he becomes incensed at the treatment the, the Jews are receiving, um, strikes out against an Egyptian, murders him, and then goes into hiding for about 40 years, where he works as a shepherd. Long story short, God sends him back, and he has this specific job of delivering his people from slavery. Um, he, he didn't look like Charles P. Heston, but it's, I think I actually have a picture of Charles P. Heston up there. Thanks for moving my slides for me, honey. Um, um, 
the, um, and so while he's there, God, God sends him, he talks to Pharaoh, he says, hey, I'm here to get the Jews out, you need to let them go. And Pharaoh says, nope, you're not going to make me do that. And God starts sending plagues, one plague after another after another. There are 12 of them, and here's a really crazy thing, since we're, none of us are ancient Egyptians, Dwayne's getting closer to being ancient, but he's not Egyptian. <laughs> it's a birthday joke, see? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if, if you look at the different plagues that were sent, they all correspond with Egyptian gods. Um, and so part of what God is doing in this is, he's, he's literally taking his, he's backhanding every one of the Egyptian gods. He's saying, hey, what you worship is nothing compared to me. Right? So like they worship the Nile, and the first plague is the blood in the Nile, where the Nile River turns into blood. And it's one after another, after another, after another. Right? And then finally we get to the very last one. Um, anybody know what the last plague was? Killing of the children. The firstborn, yeah. And, and it shows that Pharaoh was a dense guy because Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, listen, tomorrow every firstborn in this country is going to be dead. Animals, children, you name it. Firstborn will all be dead unless you let us go. And Pharaoh says, bring your worst. The country's wrecked. You know, and, and they're, they're, you know, it's a disaster. But he says, well, bring your worst. And so he says, all right. And he comes back. And God gives the, the Jews a command. This is at, at Exodus 12, 3 to 7. There are Bibles in the pews if you want to follow along. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. Um, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb from his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, which if it was Montana would be 15 miles. Um, having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose will be one year old, will be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. Then all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of their door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. On the same night I will pass through Egypt and I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for your houses, for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you, and I will strike Egypt. This is a day you will commemorate for the generations to come, and you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a long-lasting ordinance. Okay, so um, there are two elements of, of Moses' story we're going to look at today. And the first one is the Passover. Jewish people still celebrate this. There aren't very many Jewish folks in Montana. I don't live in this part of Montana. So, so maybe you don't know folks who are celebrating this, but, but in Indiana, I had a good friend, and they, they would do Passover, right? So like this week, they would only eat bread without yeast, just like crackers, it's not very pleasant. Um, and they would eat a lamb on that last day, and, and so they would go through this celebration every year to commemorate that uh, God was going to strike down all of these children, all of these people, and um, he was going to preserve those who have blood, where? On their doors, Right? And so every year they would celebrate this. And it's a huge deal for the Jewish folks. In fact, when we get to the story of Jesus being arrested on Monday, Thursday, that's, uh, I don't know, it's the Thursday before Easter, um, when he breaks the bread and does the wine and everything, that's a part of the Passover meal. Because um, they're celebrating the standard religious um, ceremony for the Jews. 
Right, is everybody with me? All right. Um, we're going to skip about a chapter here because I can't read like Exodus 12 to Exodus 16. Uh, it'd probably be more interesting than me, but I'd like to explain some of it. Um, they do this. The angel of the Lord passes over and the firstborn is struck down. Um, there are a couple reasons for this. In the ancient world, firstborn, like like if you were a master, you could demand the first of everything from your from your servants, right? And so God, as, as God, could demand the first, right? But it also affects the Pharaoh's home. And the Pharaohs were worshipped as gods, right? Um, and so just kind of a little bit of background there. Um, the angel of the Lord passes over. Lots of people die. Lots of animals die. Um, everybody wakes up in the morning and they're like, okay, we're, we're done with this. Get out. And, and God says, they're going to be so happy to see you go. I want you to go door to door and collect jewelry. And so they go door to door and collect gold jewelry from their neighbors. And, and the neighbors are, just want them to get out. And so they're giving them stuff to leave. Um, the country is wrecked. Families are in ruins. It's, it's literally a place of destruction now. Um, and there are actually ancient documents. We have a couple of ancient, ancient documents where um, people account for all of this destruction and the Nile River being turned to blood and all this and, and how the country had literally been wrecked. Um, it's, it's one of those little bits of uh, um, the Exodus story that's, that's actually fairly well attested in outside literature, more so than most other ancient um, instances from that period. Anyway, um, they get out, right? And they're heading for the Promised Land. And on the way, uh, they, they stop in the camp because they've got several hundred thousand people. And Pharaoh says, you know what? I, I think it's about time that we, that we exact a little revenge. Because he doesn't learn very quick. He's a guy, I guess. Um, and, and he says, we're going to go out and we're going to get them. And so he mobilizes the army. Um, here's another little interesting bit of history. At the time, the Egyptians had one of the most dominant armies in the world. And we have inscriptions from this era where we have one conquest after another, where the Egyptians went out and just whipped their neighbors for the heck of it, right? They took land, they took, they took plunder, they, they fought all of their neighbors because they were big and tough. And if you're the big and tough guy in the room and you can take anything you want from anyone, why wouldn't you, right? Um, and so they come out with their chariots and their vast army, and they're going to slaughter the Israelites, right? And everybody remembers this in the Testament, right? Or Prince of Egypt? Uh, they gather up on the shore and, and, um, of the Red Sea and in Exodus 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the desert to die? These guys really appreciate like, how much God has done up to this point, right? Um, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us uh, serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And they say this thing over and over again because they're kind of kind of crappy people. Or, pardon, they're kind of unpleasant people. <laughs> I'm mean, sorry. <laughs> uh, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord and, will bring, and the Lord will bring you today. Uh, the Egyptians you see today will never see, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch it out over the sea and divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. 
I'm skipping a couple verses here. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of the army, withdrew from them and went behind them. And a pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Here's a real quick thing. When the Israelites were traveling in the desert, they had two things that they would follow. God would say, all right, go this way. And the way they knew where to go was during the day, they had a giant pillar of clouds, right? And at night, they had a giant pillar of fire, and they would travel based on these things. It was God's angel that was present. And when it comes time to cross the Red Sea, the angel swings around to the back and covers them. Um, and the Egyptians can't march forward because it's dark. Um, and so the Israelites cross, like, on dry ground, and they're protected from behind by the angel. Um, then Moses stretched his hand out um, over the sea, and all night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong wind from the east and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, and the wall was water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. They finally gained it. Um, and then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and parchment. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its original place. And the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. I want to read it because I didn't want to just paraphrase it, okay? So I know it's tough listening to me read. It's tough listening to me talk. Um, imagine my position. Um, <laughs> so um, the Red Sea parts. The Egyptians start following them in, and God says, okay, now you drown. And the water flows over them, and they drown. And actually, the Pharaoh drowns with them. Why did we end here? Well, because the Egyptians worship the Pharaoh as a god, and God takes their last and most precious god and knocks him flat. Um, they drown in the sea, which for the Egyptians um, is like hell. Because the Egyptians believe if you were not buried in Egypt, you would not go to heaven. And so that's the reason the Egyptians never built ships and conquered their neighbors, because they believed you had to die in Egypt. And so for the pharaoh to drown in the sea and be lost is about the biggest insult you can think of, right? This, like, same idea presents for the Israelites. Whenever you see water referenced in the Old Testament, it's a reference to um, chaos or death or hell, right? Um, it's, it's this idea of the worst thing you can think of. Um, and, and for them to pass through the sea is like passing through death, right? And for the Pharaoh and his armies to die there was a huge deal. Everybody with me? All right, that's the groundwork where you get to the cool stuff now. Um, when you read the story of Jesus, the gospel writers, all four of them, very intentionally drew parallels between Jesus and Moses. Um, there are a number of instances in both their lives that, that put them right next to each other. This is that typology, big Plato, right? This is the image in the Old Testament. I actually downloaded a list of like 150 different parallels. I have 10 for you. Um, the Jews in the time of Moses were living with the Egyptians, which is under the Egyptians, 
when Jesus shows up, they're living under the Romans, right? So they're living during a time of oppression and difficulty where the people have been like put under the boot of a foreign nation. Um, Jesus is born, and uh, Herod responds by killing all of the newborns to try and get Jesus, right? Um, same thing happens with Moses when he's born. Um, in order to prevent Jesus from being killed, um, his parents flee Egypt, and they stay in Egypt for a while. Um, in order to prevent Moses from being killed, he lives in the palace of the king of Egypt. And so we see hiding in Egypt to prevent from infanticide, right? Um, Moses' name means to be drawn out of the water. Um, and, and like I said, right, water, hell, destruction, chaos, right? To be drawn out of the water is to be saved. I mean, Moses' name literally means to be saved from destruction. Um, Jesus' name means salvation. The word is actually Yeshua. It means salvation. Um, so they have names that parallel. Uh, both are referred to as shepherds. In fact, Moses was a shepherd for uh, the 40 years that he was in hiding from the murder he had committed. But he's referred to as a shepherd of God's people. And Jesus is the good shepherd, right? He's God's shepherd that takes care of the people. Um, both are sent to deliver the people from slavery. Now, here's the trick. Um, the Jews with Jesus didn't understand what their slavery was. They looked at the Romans and they said, hey, we got this foreign nation over us. We need somebody to get us out from underneath this. The slavery that God sends Jesus like to save them from is sin. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of y'all have been in a spot where like, like sin just the wretchedness you brought into your own life has crushed you, or has kept you sitting in a hole, or has dragged you down, or other people's sin has wrecked your life, and you sit there and you think, could this be any worse? And it, it's not like it's a prison of our own making in the end, right? Um, it's our own sin that does it. Every man, woman, and child born lives under the oppression of sin, and we all one day will face death. Death is a product of sin. Um, death didn't like, was never intended to exist. Um, and, and I'll give you a little bit of, like, argument here. Um, any of y'all ever have somebody close to you die, and it just feels wrong? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it shouldn't be that way? It's because it's how we're, not how we're designed. We're not made to deal with death. Um, it's despite our design. Um, I'm find my spot again. Oh, the Passover. Um, what do they do for, for um, Passover? They, they eat a lamb. They, they spread the blood. When Jesus eats the last Passover meal, he breaks bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. Eat it, right? They ate the lamb. This is my blood. Drink it. Um, for the, the Jews of old, right? Like they would paint their doors. And that, that blood said, hey, they're covered. For us, when I drink the blood of Jesus in communion, when I believe in Christ, it says that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven by that covering. I'm protected. And so when the day of like, like judgment comes, I'm going to stand before God. And when God looks at me, he's going to see somebody covered in the blood of Jesus. He's going to pass right over me. Do I have punishment coming? Probably more than any of you people. I'm good at sinning. Right? Um, but I think we're all good at it. If we're in Christ, we can see Passover, right? We're covered. The lamb like is offered for us. That's a typology, by the way. See it? It's an imprint of the old, like of the new, like pointing back to the old. Um, when they get out into the desert, by the way, Moses goes and he fasts for forty days before he gets the Ten Commandments. When Jesus starts his ministry, he goes out to the desert and he fasts for forty days um, um, before.
before starting his preaching. Uh, manna from heaven, what do they eat in the desert? You know, there's nothing to eat, there's no crops to eat, they don't have like animals abundant, and so they wake up in the morning, there's bread on the ground, and they eat it. And, and the bread, they call it manna. Anybody know what manna means? What is this? Yeah, what is this stuff? <laughs> it's a creative name. Actually, it'd be a great snack product today. I would eat, I would eat what is this stuff. Um, sometimes with my wife, but no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I love you, dear. <laughs> I had to break it there. Yeah. Um, when Jesus... When Jesus feeds the 5,000, if you read that account, Moses is mentioned over and over again in the discussion that follows, right? Because it's Jesus standing in the spot of Moses and feeding the people people in the wilderness with miraculous food that comes from heaven. Um, Jesus stands in the spot like it's very intentional, it's very on purpose. Um, finally, when Moses... Um, when Moses comes down off the mountain and the people are worshiping the golden calf, and God says, okay, rolling up my sleeves, I'm going to squish all of them. And Moses says, wait, kill me instead. I'm their leader. Kill me instead. Save my people. Well, isn't that what happens to Jesus? Jesus comes to earth and Jesus offers his life and he takes it for us. Like where we all deserve death, Christ is killed in our place. We're all saved because Jesus died for us. Um, there's a final, like, real specific thing um, as it relates to this, as it relates to the escape from slavery, okay? First off, the Passover lamb, I talked about that, right? Jesus is our Passover lamb. Um, God was pointing forward to it. This is, what, three or four thousand, three, three thousand years before the, no, two thousand, right? John's mind. Yeah, before Christ. It's, uh, what, 1200, 1300 B.C., so it's about 1300 years. Um, so we're looking at about 1300 years beforehand, God starts making these predictions. Jesus is our Passover lamb, and they celebrated Jesus for 1300 years before he was even born, um, when they would celebrate Passover. Um, the other one is baptism. Um, the word typology, tupos, right, it appears twice in the New Testament. Um, you're going to find it in Roman 5, where Jesus is compared to Adam. We're not going to talk about that this morning. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians 11, I think it is, um, where he talks about, Paul talks about um, the Jews being brought out of slavery. And he compares the Red Sea to baptism, right? Now, when we're baptized, some of y'all have been baptized, right? We, we dunk you into the water. And what Paul tells us is that it's like dying. Remember? Water, death. Everybody with me? Um, it's like dying and being buried. And when we come up out of the water, we're born again. We're made alive again. Um, when the people are freed from slavery, when their past is bearing down on them and ready to kill them, you know what I'm talking about here? The Egyptian army is literally nipping at their heels. God brings them through death and alive on the other side. And he kills their death behind them. This is what happens with us, right? And, and the Old Testament lays this out so well that I want you to picture this. Um, how, many of you, how many of you guys have something in your past that just nips at your heels every day? It's right there, and you, and you can't get away from it. Um, you wake up in the morning, you get that moment of refreshing, like, oh, it's morning. Unless you're me, and it's like, oh, it's morning. And then, then when the clouds clear, you remember, oh, yeah, I'm this guy, right? I got this addiction. 
I got this sin hanging over me. I got this thing I'm going to keep going back to. I'm this person that did this thing. I met a young lady once um, when I was working at Basher who had been a, a she, she was a prostitute for a while, and and um, she had done photography as a as a child. I mean, it was a terrible thing. And and I was talking to her about about Jesus, and she said, "You know what? God can never make this right. Like you don't know where I've been. He would never ever deal with me. You don't know how horrible I." And I got to say to her, the moment, the moment you believe, the moment you say, Jesus, you're going to be over my life, it's like you pass through death. And that old person, that person with all this sin, with all this baggage, with all this wickedness, with all this past, dies right there. It drowns like an Egyptian army. Um, it's interesting, in Egyptian history, I told you they had this whole series of victories, right? Um, if you read the inscriptions... They stopped right there. No explanation, but for some reason the army wasn't as tough as it was. It was like it was gone. Because the Egyptians never conquered a neighbor again. Um, and the same is true for us. Like when we're in Christ, when we pass through death and we're born anew, right, in Christ, because of Easter, Jesus is the first one to do it, right? He dies, he's buried, and on the third day he raises again. Um, and death is done. No more victory, no more sin. And so even when I stumble in my sin, it's not beating me, right? Because I'm still new. I still got blood over my doorstep. I'm still forgiven. Um, then actually the rest of life becomes the process of making this inside of me match the outside, right? So the inside is whole and new and pure and forgiven. And the outside still struggles with sin. And the rest of my life I get to work in this, right? And I may fall, I may stumble, I may fail. But guess what? I'm still forgiven. And that's why we celebrate Easter. Is there anything better than that? Can you imagine? It's easy to forget it. That we're delivered from an enemy that we're helpless to stand against. It's actually worth getting up at sunrise. It's worth celebrating. It's worth singing. It's worth getting together and eating and remembering Jesus, my Jesus, died for me. And he rose again. Didn't stay dead, which is sort of funny. We talk a lot about the death of Jesus, but the real trick is that he came back, right? He proves that death isn't the end. That, that Henry and everyone that we've ever loved will one day stand and walk on this earth again. This is not the end. And when I fail, it's not the end. Freedom, here's my application, okay, guys? Like, if we're free from slavery, right? If we're free from it, we have two options. We can keep going, or we can do like the, the Jews do, right? And if you read the rest of the story, what do the Jews do? They say, wow, we were so much better off when we were slaves. The food out here, what is this stuff? Manna? I don't want to eat that. Can we just go back where we had a great buffet in, in slavery all the time? Wasn't all that good, right? <laughs> they were slaves. It was rotten. People were killing their children, right? Like, we have this option. Like, my application for you today, and you go out of here this week, and I want you to pray about this. What am I doing? Am I turning around and digging back into my sin in the past? Am I trying to go back to where I was? Yeah, Jesus, I know you forgive me, but man, I love this. 
are you going forward as a free and new person? Are you watching the stuff behind you and letting it beat you even though it's drowned? Or are you waking up and saying, you know what, I'm struggling with this, but I already won. My, uh, my aunt died of cancer, uh, I don't know how many years ago, was that 12 years? Um, it was a very hard thing for me. And somebody said something to me a few years later. They said, you know, they always say that she, she lost her battle with cancer, but in the end, she believed in Jesus, right? Um, and she passed away, and cancer died with her. She'll be alive again. And so ultimately, even though it bested her at the end, she won in the end, right? Because she's still alive. She's in heaven. She'll live forever. This is gone. Sin is like our cancer. You may lose today. You may lose tomorrow. You may lose the next day. But Jesus already won the victory. And so you may kick your butt over and over and over again. But you'll win in the end. Um, we have one more song. We're going to close in prayers. I Rebecca. <laughs> Everybody talk to Rebecca. <laughs> pray that as we come to you today as we worship as we remember um, that you freed us. That in Easter we celebrate the, the freedom that we have in Christ. Um, that we're freed forever from our sin and our death. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, and I'm